I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, as we always are, most days of the week, uh, live on our Wednesday edition here. You guys had a little Tuesday show yesterday. What do you do for a welcome? Just going to start talking. I learned that from Al. You know, that you, was, go, you go Al Michaels style. That was the Al Michaels edict. You just start talking. You don't need to, you don't need an intro. You don't need to waste words on things that aren't important. You know, you just oh. start talking. Just start going. Apparently, I'm not professional enough. I've... I feel like the welcome in. I mean, look, there's become, multiple ways of doing it. I'm yeah. just saying I, I choose the Al pathway. Going with the Hall of Fame route. Mm. I mean, I'm a Hall of Famer too. But I mean, also I'm hoping that things. somewhere on that pathway is the steak meal, like off camera somewhere, the way Al gets it. Did you hear that on uh, – look, we've heard a lot of Al Michael stories, you know, from Chris and all that stuff. But mm. we had not specifically heard that one that was on uh, PMT. Was that where it was? I, I yeah, think it was, it was, with, it was uh, some, with Kirk. Right, it was some Herb Street interview. Um, where they were asking, yeah, I think you're right, it was PNT, and they were asking him, you know, are the Al stories true? And one of them was that Al has, like, basically a steak meal, like, just behind the curtain during games. So at halftime, Al just, like, spins around the seat, and there's, like, a steak waiting for him. Yeah. He was like, yeah, that's true, 100%. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and we've heard the story, you know, you can't have, like, a vegetable in the same room as right. Al Michaels. It gets very upset. Also but, true. Uh, yeah. Eating a steak at halftime. It's and stupid NFL halftime is quick. It's yeah. got like eight minutes before you got to get back on camera also, and the whole thing. Where is that coming from? Because, I mean, look, I, we can only speak to a few stadiums, but generally you're not getting a filet in the press box, you know? I don't know what the food service looks like for the fancy-ass luxury boxes, but it still feels like a stretch. NBC takes care of it. Yeah? I'm sure Fred I'm sure Fred like, put this into, into place years ago. It's like an Uber Eats, like standing order. I mean, you're Al Michaels. You probably grab like the local. So like Cincy, Ruby's has an Uber Eats just standing yeah. on like a guy on a moped who's yeah. ready to go. Ruby's takes care of him. Anyway, we've got a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit. Bill O'Brien going back to the New England Patriots. Um, the headline says flaming hot takes. Mm. We got to talk about the hot takes Yeah. around the NFL right now. Uh, maybe give our own. Maybe we'll just make some stuff up on the fly. No. No, we won't. We're but not um, that. We're going we're gonna to cool off the flaming hot takes here and discuss some draft lessons of the past, uh, in particular the Zach Wilson one. There's some re revisionist history going on with Zach Wilson. We did have an astute emailer uh, remind us of that. And, I, you know, it's been top of mind for me, too, because I've heard a lot of the revisionist history with Zach Wilson. So we'll get into that, and we'll explain the grade, uh, actually not on Zach Wilson, but more on Jared Goff, mm -hmm. season-long grade with the Lions. But let's start in New England, where Bill O'Brien's been hired as the offensive coordinator and um, this was a, a must-needed move, right? They had one of the worst, I don't know, offensive coordinator situations in the NFL with Matt Patricia. But Bill O'Brien makes his return first time since, what, 2011 that he is back. And um, on one hand, it's good for Mac Jones. On the other hand, there's, you know, spools up the uh, Tom Brady back to New England rumors as well. I guess. Um, it is fascinating. I'm just saying both things have been mentioned. Yeah. It is fascinating that the Patriots just have this, like, one closed ecosystem of coaches. 
Yeah. It's like, this is our coaching group. And if somebody leaves, all right, we'll patch it together until they come back. Because inevitably they'll fail outside of the warm environment of the New England coaching setup. So when that happens, maybe we'll send them to Alabama for a year or two, you know, the, the Nick Saban rehabilitation program. And that will buy us the cover to be able to bring them back and nobody will complain. Particularly if the interim job that we did of just stuffing any old suit into that job went really badly the way it just did. So, you know, McDaniels has left and come back. Uh, Bill O'Brien's now left and come back a long time later. We just, we just keep going with the same small group of coaches. And I don't know how much of that is just familiarity or the fact that Belichick likes these guys and how much of it is, is what you've talked about, which is they've had one offensive system essentially for the last 20 years. And if you hire somebody else, does everything need to change? And you have to scrap the whole thing and go in a completely different direction. Like, how much does that upset the apple cart? But it is just wild that they – I mean, this was the most inevitable move of the offseason, right? Like, yeah, they're going to interview some people, but they're going to hire Bill O'Brien because that's the ex-New England guy. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I get it. Like, I, th- I think the continuity – I mean, their, their offensive coordinator situation has gone Charlie Weiss, mm-hmm. um, Josh McDaniels took over, and there was, there was always a year – Bill Belichick's always been – really weird with his uh titling and stuff i'm pretty sure josh mcdaniels was calling the plays for like a year or two before he was officially declared offensive coordinator he left for the head coaching job in denver bill o'brien took over bill o'brien heads to penn state while josh mcdaniels has been fired since that point so josh mcdaniels comes back in to call the plays so there's your continuity um the one time they broke up continuity is when they hired their former defensive coordinator matt patricia to replace josh mcdaniels Right. So, but even that, that's part of this too. Right. But even that is like the two people that were vaguely near the offensive coordinator role were both just former, former New England, England coaches, people. Patricia and, and Joe Judge. Do you think so? A lot of people talk about like the old boy network and stuff in the NFL, but don't you think that's a part of hiring practice in general? Like the ability to, you know, trust people that you've worked with before, you know what you're going to get. That part of it, I, I understand. Like, I understand hiring people that you've worked with before. We both have jobs, right? I mean, it's easier to trust somebody, right? This is a job. We've worked with a lot. It doesn't mean you can never have somebody new, but in positions of power, you know, leaders tend to lean toward people that they're familiar with. But that's the difference, right? Is that the the Patriots basically don't ever have anybody new. If they do, they're former players. Like Gerard Mayo comes up, (laughs) comes up through the system because he used to play for them. Like when was the last like new, new, hire of any kind of significance that's come into that building from a completely independent, like outside different system. They had uh, Brett Bielema almost, no, they hired, um, what's his face? Who's at uh, Rutgers? Greg Schiano. Yes. They hired for like a month right. to run the defense. That was the first time I think they had ever, hired. I mean, it's like Belichick's kids running the defense right now. Right. The other interesting move in New England though is Gerard Mayo, hot coaching name, for head coaching opportunities and defensive coordinator opportunities has turned them all down. And for years, there was the thought that Josh McDaniels was the heir apparent and he was going to be the guy when Bill uh, Bill Belichick retires. It seems like Gerard Mayo may be next in line in New England whenever that is, one year, two years, five years from now, who knows? It seems like Mayo's the guy that's sticking around just to see if he's the the next guy in charge in New England. Yeah, it's just I, I can't think of another team that operates this sort of closed off from everything else with their own in like ecosystem of coaches. Um, but it does mean now that we get uh, Bill O'Brien coming back to work with Mac Jones again. He worked with yeah, They worked together in Bama. Um, which has to help, right? Like, 
there's a couple of things at work. Number one, this is a situation where simply not sticking with the status quo will upgrade it. Like anybody coming in other than what they had last year is better. You know, any form of offensive mind rather than having a defensive coordinator, special teams coach coaching your young quarterback is an upgrade. Number two, Bill O'Brien was always a pretty good offensive coach. Like even when things were going bad in Houston, it was going bad more in the what are these personnel moves you're doing as opposed to the, the actual game day coaching is bad. Like, why did you trade away, you know, new Hopkins or those kinds of things? Look it at that coaching career. Yeah. Like, it's a pretty good resume. Um, and I think as a coach, he's actually been pretty good. And, okay, you always have to sort of wonder, with, again, the Alabama Rehabilitation Project. It's like, to what extent is this success versus to what extent is this? I am a former Bill Belichick coach. I am coaching at a can't-miss college, uh, college program. Like, it's probably quite hard to fail in that environment. But generally speaking, Bill O'Brien's resume, I think, does stack up. Yeah, it does. And look, so coming off of having Matt Patricia um, as the head coach, as as the offensive coordinator, now New England gets a guy that called plays for very successful offenses, even if it was years ago. I do agree the Texans thing. It's a little bit like Chip Kelly's stint in Philadelphia. I think the... The, the final word on it was, oh, it was bad. It ended poorly, right, in Houston for Bill O'Brien, maybe for, in Philadelphia for Chip Kelly. But it got worse as both of those guys got personnel power, right? Chip Kelly started – he had, like, full control the last year and things got worse. Bill O'Brien, it was just a mess there, right? He was just handed more power, more power, more power, general manager title and the yeah. whole thing. And they had several good players that they traded for no return. So, yeah – Things got worse there, but you're back to what you do well, which is call plays. And I think there's, you know, it's a pivotal year for Mac Jones if he's that mm-hmm. guy. And um, the rumors, there were rumors during during the season that Jeff Howe from, uh, you know, former Patriots beat writer now of the Athletics said, hey, there could be a, a Tom Brady reunion in New England. Uh, Rob Gronkowski recently recently said he doubts it. Do you think that's even potentially on the table? Would Brady do one or two more years in New England with Bill O'Brien and company? I, I don't know that that makes sense for anybody, to be honest. I agree. I, I'm actually surprised it even became a rumor. Hmm. Um, I don't think – I just don't think so. I feel like uh, – I think Brady's moved on and wants to just do his yeah. own thing. And I think New England's like, do we actually want – I mean, part of the reason why New England wanted to move on is because they didn't want to just build a team for two years. They wanted to build for the future. Yeah. I mean, they – yeah, they were the, the the side that wanted to move on in that particular – arrangement it feels very difficult to imagine a world where Brady would just happily accept that they've changed their mind and would like him back now you know actually Tom turns out you were the best thing for us we're sorry come home does he really go okay yeah sounds good no he's like no to hell with you I've moved on I'm going somewhere else I already did the Tampa Bay thing I got one more stint in me maybe do you see him uh, answering questions I forget who the other guy was Larry Fitzgerald's podcast with Jim Gray there you go yeah he was very testy when he was asked about this. I mean, he know he it's his own podcast. He should have he knows what they're going to ask him. Yeah, they probably talk about the topics ahead of time, given it's his own podcast. Brady's one of these people that doesn't swear well. You know? Did you hear it or did you just read? No, the I heard it. Okay, it's it's worse when you hear it. 
he doesn't he gets a little whiny yeah, yeah. he doesn't have a natural uh, repartee with cuss words yeah. swear words you know he just doesn't they don't come out of his mouth well it sounds like well, that's kind of bitchy you know there's a lot of people who can swear and you're like that's just part of the, you know Bill Burr Bill Burr has an outstanding relationship with swear words. The ma- they just fire out of his mouth and it's endearing. You know, there's no problem. It's just part of the punctuation of the man's speech pattern, right? Brady, when he swears, it's like, well, you come across kind of like a whiny bitch there, Tom. That doesn't feel like, uh, that's not endearing for a man with your wealth, stature, and uh, disposition. So, so on the retirement question, what are you going to do? which he knew was coming yeah. because, you know, they probably have a production meeting before their one podcast per week between him, Jim Gray. It's, it's literally the only thing anybody wants to know yeah. about Tom Brady right now. So he said basically, I don't if, know. Even if they completely blindsided him about it, like you can't possibly have been surprised that that's a question that's coming. He needs he needs a month or two to, to sit on it. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, the decision pretty much has to be made within, say, another 40 days, right? He had 40 days yeah. in retirement last year. It's about 40 days before free agency will open, um, which it's a little bit before free agency, but teams have to know what they're getting into. They right. have to know if they're going to pursue Tom Brady and mm-hmm. if they're going to build their entire offseason. Not just that. One team's going to go out there and trade for Derek Carr yeah. in the next two weeks. They've got to know, are they? do they have Tom Brady? Are, what do they need to do to build around Tom Brady? Because it's not just yeah. him, right? It's, it's, it's getting him and being secure enough with everything around him that it works because this is no longer add Tom Brady to a roster and you're a Super Bowl contender. This is add Tom Brady to a roster and make sure the roster's in good shape. Then maybe we're a Super Bowl contender. So, yeah, it is something that needs to happen pretty quickly. I, yeah, I, I mean, look, people are going to want to know. You're probably going to need to have an idea pretty quickly. Um, but getting back to, the, to where we started from, I don't see New England as that destination. Fair, fair point. I want to, we'll circle back four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. If you're not a new customer, that's fine. You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped up same game parlays. These are hot right now. I've seen a lot of people win these things, Sam. Mm-hmm. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, just to wrap it up, Mac Jones and his development here, first 10 games of his career, Mac Jones was, was very good, right? I mean, we don't see too many rookies grade as well as he did their first 10 12 games of the season he definitely tapered off the the end of his rookie year had a decent playoff game against buffalo but they were down by a lot during most of that time um we again we haven't seen you know like russell wilson rg3 andrew luck like there haven't been a ton of rookie quarterbacks that have just been good from the from the beginning mac jones was but then he regressed and then he regressed even further this year and I know that, you, you know, you, it's tough to separate the quarterback from the system and all that stuff, but how much was Mac Jones just missing throws and being uh, inconsistent? How much was the system and uh, just no flow with Matt Patricia? So a pivotal year three for the Patriots and Mac Jones. A lot of talk about them getting, you know, upgrades at the receiver position. And DeAndre Hopkins is on the trading block. We know that there's a history there. Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins. Could be a reunion there because uh, – Hopkins is going to be 
pennies on the dollar from a draft capital standpoint, but then he's got this massive contract that needs to be restructured. So it's going to be an interesting offseason because we know the impact of a true wide receiver one, and I think Nuke has at least one or two more years of that in him. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's it's a really important year for Mac Jones. Like, they took him backwards this year. Like, you come out of his rookie season, started incredibly well, tailed off a little bit as the year went on. I think that makes sense based off, you know, defenses, having a better understanding of him based off simply not necessarily sustaining and, and kicking on and improving his game overall. So you entered this year, too, with – all right, we know what you do well. Now can you get better at the things that you didn't do tremendously well because that's what will determine where your ceiling is and how good you can get. Like Mac Jones, I think it was always overstated a little bit how much of a statue he is in the pocket or how much of a sort of strictly immobile pocket passer he is, but he's on that end of the scale, right? He's not a uh, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen you know, type of quarterback he's a guy that is going to be in the pocket more often than not, at which point this is a league now where if you're going to be that style of quarterback, you need to be amazing at that. And you need to be phenomenal at all the aspects of that play to offset the fact that you're not bringing 500 rushing yards to the table and the threat of that on every single down. We never got to saw that, or we never got to see that because the structures around him this year were such a complete mess that he went backwards. So now Bill O'Brien has an off season and a season to fix that and to not just get him back to where he was, but show that he can take the next step and put a definitive sort of spotlight on where his ceiling is so that they can feel confident or not in him as the future. The other thing to keep an eye on in New England in particular, team building season, love discussing this stuff. In the few years now that they haven't had Tom Brady, the first real, so it was like they lost Tom Brady after the 2019 season. They just, it was kind of business as usual. The next offseason, the first real offseason without Brady on the books and everything, they went nuts in free agency. Remember how much money they spent? Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, John New Smith. They went, Jalen Mills. They were paying, uh, you know, five or six players a ridiculous amount of money. Some have hit, some have not hit, whatever. Last year, though, was more business as usual. They kind of came back down to earth. We were joking that Nick Casario was the, uh, maybe Nick Casario was the the big spender, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he, and he and he left. Or he was the nickel and dime guy. Right. Right. When he left, you know, they went nuts. That's what it was. Last year, though, was business as usual. Do they go back and say, look, just like the Chargers last year spent all that money on um, several free agents and trades and all that stuff, with a year three quarterback, got to go all in because you still have the rookie deal. So it'll be interesting to see if New England goes back to that. Let's go crazy in free agency and trades and and try to make a move here with Mac Jones on a, on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to um, the hot takes here, Sam. <laughs> the QB hot takes that are going around here. Yeah. Let's be, I've heard it described as the wet blanket of reason. So I'm stealing that from uh, Greg Bedard, actually, okay. New England beat writer. Let's, you know, cool off the hot takes. You want to set a little, a little background here? We'll set up our friend Pete Schrager. Yeah. Um, we just, we have a little video clip that's clipped from a Good Morning Football segment, our, our big rivals of a Monday morning. Yeah. Um, we where, beat them to the punch, though. We were 10 hours early. True. Yeah. Where he's basically talking about Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes heading into this AFC championship game. So fire up the video. You know, Joe Burrow goes 4-0 against Mahomes and 1-0 against Allen. How am I saying that Joe Burrow is not the first guy in the AFC? Yeah, yeah. This game is huge. I know Mahomes' ankle is banged up. I know that the Chiefs are the one seed in at home. 
Um, I, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation on Monday morning from a big picture standpoint about Joe Burrow in that AFC. Right now, it seems like it's one, two, three, and Mahomes is still at the top. He's the MVP, he's the whole thing. But if Burrow beats Mahomes on Sunday, how could you make the argument that. that Mahomes is better than Burrow? I hear that. Okay. First of all, I just want to say, I, I like Pete Traeger. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never, I don't think like I've Pete. ever met the guy in person, but he seems like a nice guy. I've I don't been have on, any problem. I've been on Good Morning Football. There you go. We talk every now and again. Yeah, I like Pete. I don't have any problem with Pete Traeger, but I hate this line of thought, which is what everything is these days, right? We've lurched back and forth between Daniel Jones. Is he terrible? Is he great? Based off single game performances one week to the next. There's no analysis in there. It's just, you know, look at the... The output, was it good? Therefore, we need to say he's great. Was it bad? Therefore, we need to say he sucks. Josh Allen this year has gone from like, is Josh Allen MVP, the best quarterback in the NFL, to like, well, maybe Josh Allen's the problem now. Is, is Josh Allen good? Is he even in this conversation with, with really good AFC quarterbacks? And now we're reaching the stage where we're like, if Joe Burrow beats Patrick Mahomes, a Patrick Mahomes who is dealing with a high ankle sprain, right, to the point where he probably shouldn't be playing this week. He only is because it's the AFC Championship game. If Joe Burrow beats a hobbled Patrick Mahomes, and by beats, I mean is on a team that beats Patrick Mahomes' team, we can't say that Patrick Mahomes is, is better. There's no argument you can make. You cannot construct the argument that Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback if Joe Burrow beats him whilst he's injured. What? What is that? If it was parsed as Bengals and Chiefs, though, and if it was like, hey, at the end of the day here, if the Bengals win again, and they've got the Chiefs number, and they've beaten them four straight times, and it's through the lens of the Bengals could be the new top dog in the AFC. Like, I, I could buy into that. But it isn't. I know. But and it's even then, even then, I'm not sure it's accurate, right? Like, this, there is a world where one team can be a stylistically bad matchup for another team and be worse, right? Like, the, this world of sort of uh, styles make fights, you know, like boxing or MMA. Like, you can just have a guy that's a bad matchup, but you're better than he, you're You're in a vacuum better than this guy. You can't beat him because he's a bad matchup for you, but you'll beat everybody else. Like, if you beat everybody else and lose to this one guy, is that guy better than you, even if he's like 500 versus everybody else? No. Yeah, I mean, look, I disagree with all of it. <laughs> yes. Re, I mean, re-ranking the quarterbacks based off this Sunday's outcome, even if Mahomes has a healthy ankle, I think is ridiculous. Is ridiculous. Here's the thing. I Listen, there's a different argument to make, though, right? There's a different argument to make if you really want to rank quarterbacks and say Joe Burrow's better than Patrick Mahomes. You could look at PFF grades over the last two years. You could say over the last two years, Burrow's actually got a, a better track record than Patrick Mahomes in certain areas. Um, the thing that always gives Mahomes the advantage, though, is he's been doing it for five years, right? Yeah. There's been one little blip this in Mahomes' game. There's been a blip. There was a blip in 2022, uh, 21, last year, where he wasn't as good. And they still made it to the AFC Championship, right? I mean, yes. they still and, and he still played well last year and, and led a high, you know, a high-powered offense. So that's why Mahomes is sitting atop, you know, current quarterback rankings. But this craziness goes the other way too, Sam. Like nobody is immune to this. This isn't like people are already saying, you know, Mahomes is passing Brady as as the best of all time, and they're in their goat rankings because it, Brady's played twenty three years, but they're still like looking at the most recent thing that they saw, right? Even the perspective that 
in Mahomes' first five years, Brady and Mahomes did play in the playoffs. Like, Brady outplayed him in the playoffs twice. And while in his 40s, when he should have been retired, like all of his colleagues, like all of that stuff, if you're into ranking quarterbacks and ranking them all time, like all of that stuff has instantly been forgotten because Brady looks like a 45-year-old and Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league this year. Because people can only remember the last thing that they saw. It's just, it's such a frustrating argument because, you know, they, again, framing it as, I don't know how you can possibly even construct the argument that Mahomes is better than Joe Burrow if he loses to Burrow for the fourth straight time. Number one, he is not losing to Burrow. The Kansas City Chiefs are losing to the Cincinnati Bengals. There's 45 guys that play in those games for each team. We're talking 90 people, plus the impact of the coaching staff, plus the impact of like blind luck and the bounce of a ball, right? These are things that happen, and they've been three so far, pretty damn close games. It's not like the Bengals have blown out the Chiefs every single one of those games. And even if they had, again, I would argue that doesn't necessarily seal the deal. Um, so that's number one. They're not simply playing head-to-head, right? It's, it's a combination of their team versus the other team. Number two, Mahomes is about to win the MVP. Like, whatever, was 49 people voted for him as first-team All-Pro. I think he's basically a slam dunk to win MVP. I forget what the actual numbers are, but it was very, very heavy in Mahomes' favor, and those votes are already in, right? So just this year, he's... 49 people or however many it was have determined that Mahomes is better than Joe Burrow like unless you're telling me that the last two weeks has completely changed that opinion for everybody then obviously you can construct the argument because people did people were literally tasked two weeks ago which guy is better who is the more important quarterback he's winning MVP and they did and it was Mahomes by a landslide so like just this concept of well if this happens this week Well, that's now four in a row, which means it has to be him. Even though Baker Mayfield is 3-0 against Joe Burrow. Is he better? Right? Mm. Eli Manning was 2-0 against Brady in Super Bowls. Is he the better quarterback? Jake Plummer was 3-0 against Tom Brady. Is Jake Plummer a better quarterback than Tom Brady? Pete even mentioned that, actually, in the the three-minute clip. Right. So, Pete mentioned, I mean— By definition, it's a ridiculous argument. When you—we only played the 30-second clip. He actually mentioned the Jake Plummer stat against Brady— and he also mentioned on Monday morning, from a big picture standpoint, we have to start considering Burrow as maybe the best. And I'm like, well, look, if you want to construct that argument, like I said, you can construct Burrow versus Mahomes versus Allen any way you want, right? There's data points. You could use stuff if you want. But to say that the big picture is going to change based off this very small picture, which is this Sunday, yes. while Mahomes has a high ankle sprain, which is a three- to four-week injury, that I think is, is off. So this isn't, this isn't about Pete. No, it's about this is about Dak Prescott this week. It's about Josh Allen this week. It's about Mahomes is the goat. It's about every one of those conversations. It's about watching a Sunday night football game where a quarterback who has good stats throws a touchdown and everybody's like, he's the MVP. He's got to be the MVP. I just saw this touchdown. That's my MVP. It's about one game immediately changing everything you thought you knew about whatever. It shouldn't make that kind of impact. Now, here's where it gets interesting because – what made Tom Brady Tom Brady was each one of these little events being stacked up on top of each other, one after another, after another, after another. Earlier in their careers, Peyton Manning was an obviously better quarterback than Tom Brady. But every one of these clutch moments, every one of these Super Bowl championships, every one of these sort of inevitable late game 
comebacks or drives or moments of magic that in themselves you could always argue like, oh, Adam Vinatieri made that one. Or, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you can kind of tear down each one of these things. And for a while there was some crazy debate, you know, where like Brady is five plays away from having no rings, right? You're like, well, equally he's five plays away from having 10 or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But each one of those, when you start stacking them upon each other, that's what creates this legacy. So it does change just getting on the right end of some of these results, right? And Burrow is starting to construct that kind of resume, albeit we're obviously way, way, way earlier in the process. But he's beaten Josh Allen or his team. The Bengals have beaten Josh Allen and the Bills in pretty conclusive circumstances. They were on their way to doing it the first time before that game got abandoned. He's beaten Kansas City now three times in a row. These are the kinds of games and performances that do stack upon each other and build a legacy. But they don't happen one. It doesn't like it doesn't change it doesn't go from zero legacy to legacy yeah. after one game, right? If he beats Mahomes again, it is another block. But then he's got to win a Super Bowl. And then he's got to, you know, he needs to keep stacking them upon each other. That's what builds the legacy. One game and one performance should never completely change everything you think about a player or a team or whatever. It's just madness. That's where I, I do think um, I'm different from most in the analytics community. That's where I do think the QB wins get you in the ballpark over time. And all of the things that you talked about, no matter, you know, from a Brady perspective, no matter which way you parse it, when they're behind in the fourth quarter, when all the pressure's on him, or when there's no run game, or whatever it is, Brady ends up finding a way to win. I do think there's the quarterback dictates wins more than any other position in sports, besides maybe like the NBA superstar, right, at, at whatever position. So it's not like just use wins, but I do think over time you have the biggest impact, and it probably gets you in the ballpark. And I think your point of Brady stacked those things up and over time, it's like, oh, yeah, it didn't matter if he was in New England or Tampa Bay. It didn't matter if they were down 10. It didn't matter if they were if he threw the ball 50 times. He's been the most successful in every potential situation. So that's kind of like what Mahomes and Burrow and all those guys are dealing with. If we're talking about just ranking quarterbacks here, you want to take in all their situation. I think the biggest feather in Mahomes' cap is losing Tyree Kill yeah. and still being as productive as he is. I think all of those data points matter. The only problem I have with that logic, and I think generally – you're probably right that this idea of the best quarterbacks actually win is probably more true than people give it credit for. Like, obviously, in any small sample size, the, the smaller the sample size, the worse it gets, right? So you can clearly look at one game where a quarterback played out of his mind and lost because everything around him was bad. That very small correlation between good performance in the quarterback and win at the end of it. But the larger the sample you're looking at, the better a picture you probably get. But... Where I think it becomes very difficult is when you start looking at this sort of big picture legacy type of conversation, like does Dan Marino's lack of championships and success at the playoff level, does that indicate a fundamental problem in Dan Marino's game and a relative lack of greatness compared with Joe Montana or Tom Brady or Terry Bradshaw or a guy who won a lot of rings or does it simply mean that once you get down to the sharp end of the season, flaws in the team or, or differences in quality simply show up more or the bad end of variance, which remember, like in all these guys, the sample size we're talking about is tiny once you start getting down to this level. Like even Brady, right? Six championships, seven, how many has he won? Seven. Seven championships. 
the difference, again, you can take five of them away with five plays, right? So the fact that he's ended up on the right side of every one of these is probably an indication that Brady does have some kind of clutch, greatest of all time, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, it could also be that he simply got the good end of variance for that, you know, for that small sample size. And the difference between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, I don't want to say is luck, but is, you know, is a hell of a lot closer than people want to uh, sh- say it to be based off the outcomes, right? You're playing both sides here. I'm, well, well, I'm, I'm not playing both sides as much as simply asking the question, like, this is the problem with this mode of thought, right? I agree that when we look back, when we're 25 years down the line, and we look back at the careers of Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, we're going to start looking at things like this, right? Which is Joe Burrow, you know, had this kind of record against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and he had X number of championships, <coughs> and Mahomes made it to the AFC title game five straight times, and blah, 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 right? But what I don't know is how much that's actually them driving that, you know? And I don't know that there's an answer to that question. Obviously, you can go through play by play and you can parse it all out and you can say, wow, look at this incredible play by Mahomes or Burrow or whatever. But I do think ultimately we're probably trying to construct a pattern that might not exist and might simply be, (laughs) this is a game where small sample sizes dictate outcomes and it's not always like deserved. It's not always justified. It's just the way it went. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So just to pull it all together, I don't, you know, we love Pete. We'll see him at the Super Bowl too, right? We'll say hi, you know. Maybe we'll have us on Good Morning Football Probably to discuss. Not this. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I'm a former. I'm the tallest guest they've ever had. Pete tried to say. Is that official? Yeah. Well, he tried to say it was Dan McGuire. Yeah. But if you go to Pro Football Reference and you go to Pro Baseball Reference, yeah, you'll you'll get your answer. Will it Dan be, is merely six eight. Will it be the correct answer though? Yeah. I mean, I may have shrunk since being listed at six ten. Maybe I'm Dan McGuire's size now. Did you shrink or did you just have a bad listing? I'm six foot ten. Six for ten in your program. Um, I, I will say it benefits me to have you listed as six foot ten because it helps the argument that I'm not a munchkin. Yeah, yeah. You know? I make you look small. Yeah. People think you're five eight. I know. Tops. So you know, to Pete's um, defense, we've um, he's not the problem here. No, he is simply it's a not symptom yeah. of this wider rot. And that we've been in it, man. In we've had world. we've had people tell us, be bold, you know, have have strong takes. Yeah. And, and I don't. I sit on the fence. I sit right there on the fence. But I think, isn't there that, is it a data, I forget sort of where the, this phrase comes from, but have strong takes held weekly. Yeah. All the, by weekly, I mean. With an A, not, not every single week. Yes, exactly. There are some people, there are some people who have strong takes and they hold them weekly as in seven days at a time. True. Right. Very true. Well, that's like a, a week ago, Josh Allen. That's is the That's the exactly. Best. That's yeah. what we're talking about here, right? The exact same sentence applies, but what we need yeah. you to do is to change the e to an a. Yeah. So weekly and everything is fine. Is greater than weekly, as in seven days. Have strong takes yes. held with weakness, not have strong takes that change on a weekly basis. So what happened was somebody heard this and was like, "You're right. I'm going to have a different take every week," because last week Josh Allen was probably the best quarterback of all time, or something like that. You know, just a few weeks ago. Also, not everything has to be the best or worst. Like a year ago at this time, 
Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl and we had to discuss his Hall of Fame credentials. And it's like, I don't think it changed in a month. I don't think it did. I don't think his Hall of Fame credentials changed in a month. Now, if you add another month to that after another really good season with the Rams, maybe it could. You know, if Stafford goes out and has another great year like he did in 21 and they win the Super Bowl next year, maybe it does. But that doesn't change in a month. Yeah, the Stafford thing is a fascinating example because did the run that he had in the playoffs fundamentally change anything about Matthew Stafford's career? Did Joe Flacco's run to a Super Bowl change Joe Flacco's career? And then you can sort of go a little bit further, like Eli Manning's runs for the Super Bowl. Like they, I think they change legacies, but I don't think they should dramatically change what you're talking about for each one of those players. Like Joe Flacco was not a particularly good NFL quarterback relative to like, you know, Tom Brady and like legit goats and championship caliber guys. He got really hot for a five-game stretch and it ended up winning Baltimore Super Bowl. Eli Manning had two really impressive postseason runs in an otherwise pretty average NFL starting career. Matthew Stafford, who I think was way more volatile throughout his NFL career and then caught fire in the playoffs on a much better team generally than his Detroit teams and won a championship. But like, we shouldn't immediately then go, oh, all of a sudden Matthew Stafford's one of the greatest of all time. Now look, you can add, now because he's won a championship, we can look at his like passing yardage totals are gonna be better than Peyton Manning. Now, now we like them. Right, now, now, okay. now it means something. It didn't yeah. a week ago, but now that he beat the Bengals because Aaron Donald just made three consecutive plays at the end of the game, now we can start talking about him in a completely different light. What? I, I also think, there's a difference between looking back and assigning credit versus what's going to happen going forward. So if Burrow and the Bengals do beat Mahomes this weekend, I do believe in like the legacy stuff. I do think it matters, right? I mean, Mahomes. Well, it's the only way you can judge them at the end of the day, right? So but, it has to. But like right or wrong, Mahomes, like people want to put him up with Montana, Peyton, and Brady. And maybe he gets there over time. This weekend matters a lot for that, right? Because they're going to say, how did you go to X number of Super Bowls? Did you win them and this and that? So I, I, like looking back, it probably matters. But if we're going to define, like if Burrow and the Bengals win and we're saying next year, which quarterback do you want? I mean, it's still probably is Mahomes. It's still probably Mahomes right now for mm -hmm. the foreseeable future. Again, I think there was a blip last year where he wasn't playing as well and he wasn't <laughs> able to adjust, right? And, and but that's blip. how good he's been is that there was a half-year blip, and that's what we're talking about. And his blip was 4,800 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, and 13 picks. Like, his blip is a career year for most quarterbacks. Yeah. So, anyway, does anyone in the chat have anything to add to this? Could we cover this? I mean, the Dak thing is the same thing. If you want to go back and say Dak's legacy with the Cowboys, I mean, it does – like, last week hurts it. it. I don't care. You know, no matter how bad people think the scheme was – the Niners defense is tough. Dak played horribly in a game, and he didn't play well last year against the Niners in the playoffs, in games where the Cowboys had a good team, right? They had a good shot to go on a run, right? I think it does hurt Dak's legacy. Does that mean – but then there's a lot of other data points that say Dak's a top-eight quarterback. And we talk all the time about you probably want a top-eight quarterback to give yourself a shot. So does how, how Dak Prescott played last week have any bearing on how he'll do in, say, the divisional round next year, if given the opportunity? I don't think so. I don't think you go into the divisional round next year and be like, well, Dak's a choker. Had a 38 grade last year against the Niners. There's no way he'll do it. He'll have, he could have a good game. He could lead a Super Bowl run next year for the Cowboys. So that's the difference, right? I do think looking back, you could say, yeah, 
Dak Prescott has underperformed in some key playoff games, and that does matter in the grand scheme of how good do you think he's been for the Cowboys. I don't know if it affects the next game that he plays in the playoffs. But the other sort of irritating factor about this is I do think that there are players that overall are sort of prone to choking in big moments or clutch. Like I, I think cho both choking and clutch are things. They're not – those exist. There are players with – the tendency to choke, and there are players with the tendency to come up big in clutch moments. But we lose all that. Like, we lose the ability to identify that because of this week-to-week -week push to just to label everything, either choking or clutch, right? But regardless of what actually creates that. Like, we just go, oh, this guy's a choker. I've seen two consecutive bad outcomes of what he's done. Therefore, like, that's who he is, right? You know, well, doing that just muddies this picture and you lose sight of anybody who that's actually a thing for like it just it's not analysis it's bullshit and that's what this whole show is all about bullshit is calling that out so let's get to the zach wilson stuff here yeah we've we were going to do 10 minutes on all these topics but no nobody, nobody can hold us down with 10 minutes at a time let's talk zach wilson uh we had an email and the basic question is there a lesson to be learned from from zach wilson what lessons do we want to learn? Do we have uh, the, do we have like the bullet points on the email here? Uh, you know? Yeah, I have the whole email thrown into this chat somewhere. There you go. Oh, there it all, there it is. Right on the screen in front of you. Do you want me to read it? Sure. From Vishnu, uh, I'm finding the re retrospective discourse around Zach Wilson to be comically foolish. Much of the media is rushing to proclaim that, quote, everyone should have seen this coming, end quote. Zach Wilson only got drafted because of a pro day throw. He was never a first round prospect, et cetera. Firstly, the pro day throw narrative is nonsensical. Zach Wilson had a historically great final season at BYU, both by standard box score and advanced metrics, including PFF grade. The fact that he had elite arm talent as well as enhanced that, I don't think, I don't know what that said. I don't think the fact that he has busted in the NFL should make us completely revise our previous draft takes, which is why I appreciate Steve's argument that there doesn't always need to be a lesson learned. But I want to push one step further. Is it too much of a stretch for me to say that if a prospect of Zach Wilson's profile comes up in the future, a team should use a first-round pick on him? I just believe that the combination of production and ability is so rare that it's worth chasing, even if there are other red flags. Thanks, Vishnu. Um, Vishnu. There's, Vishnu, sorry. There's one lesson I do think that maybe we can learn from the Zach Wilson evaluation. I'll get to that in a moment. But the, let's debunk the revisionist history, like the, the idea that the pro day throw or whatever it was led to Zach Wilson being locked in at number two is false because he was pretty much locked in at number two by January 1st, by the new year, right? I mean, there, I have old tweets talking about, oh, you know, the Jets, Jets lose out on Trevor Lawrence, right? I made my Fresh Prince joke when Trevor falls, mm. goes splat. And I say, look, that's Jets fans. You lost them because you beat the Jags. Um, people liked that. <laughs> And people are still, they're sending me Zach Wilson pictures. Like, don't worry, we got Zach Wilson. Mm. It wasn't Justin Fields at the time. For a while, it was Fields and Lawrence. Yes. Begin, beginning of the year is Fields and Lawrence. By December, that had switched. And Zach Wilson was the clear QB2. And then pro days aren't until March. Right. And at March, Zach Wilson has the off-balance throw and this and that. So are there reasons why Zach Wilson became an attractive prospect? Yes. And I think it was what was happening in the NFL at that time which was Mahomes' success over the last couple of years and Josh Allen's success and Justin Herbert had just come off a good, really good year. And arm talent was front and center in the minds of NFL evaluators before the pro day throw. Yeah, here's, I think 
one of the there's a there's a few different ways history is being revised with hindsight now with Zach Wilson. The first of which is a lot of people saying, um, "Oh, all of these flaws were obvious from his tape in college. He should never have been the number two overall pick. This guy was never a good prospect. He was never going to work out. I knew it all along. I was pointing out this stuff back in the day when it wasn't cool, right?" Now, look, there were people that didn't like Zach Wilson. Um, our guy, Darius Butler, who's on Pat McAfee's show now, he's, he's all over the place. He was on the PFF draft show that year. I don't think he liked Zach Wilson at all. He was very critical of a lot of this stuff. Um, but the thing about that is when we talked about this on yesterday's show with quote-unquote toolsy quarterbacks, toolsy quarterbacks, there is this, uh, there is this implied um, slight to other elements of their game. Otherwise, they would simply just be good quarterbacks. You know, They would be Trevor Lawrence, where there is no flaw to his game as a prospect. There's no weakness. We're not criticizing anything. We just love Trevor Lawrence. When you're talking about a toolsy quarterback, inherently there is something about their game that isn't there yet. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talked about that way. So anytime it doesn't work out, it's obvious that you can point to the flaws and be like, well, that was the issue. I mean, that was there all along. Well, of course it was, but nobody cared because of the upside and the other things of his game, only that wasn't enough this time, right? Like if Josh Allen hadn't panned out, if Josh Allen had been the guy he was as a rookie and just kept on going at that level and eventually got crapped out of the league, it would be easy to go back and look at his tape and be like, well, that was all there. Like this scattershot madness and like erratic behavior in the pocket. Like it's all at Wyoming. How did nobody see this? Well, of course they saw it. It was the fact that he was also six foot five and 240 pounds and had a howitzer for an arm. So we figured he could be better than that, and he can. So I think focusing on just what was bad about his college tape doesn't really do you any good because people knew that. Like, that's not a secret. The issue is, to me, the real area of, like, what can we learn is I do think the rise of Zach Wilson, the separation of Zach Wilson from the rest of those quarterbacks, right? From Justin Fields in particular, but also Mac Jones, Trey Lance. It was, it, all of a sudden it was Trevor, or we went from Trevor Lawrence and maybe Justin Fields to Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson and then the rest. Why? And I don't think that was, there was ever a good reason for that other than it just became very clear quite quickly that that's the way the NFL saw it. And this is where I think there is a danger to groupthink in the draft process. Because I think sometimes when it becomes clear that like everybody has separated them in the same way, you just kind of go along with it. You're like, all right, fine, I can see it. You know, like you talk yourself into it. Like when I went through the five quarterbacks in that first round, I quite liked them all for various different reasons, right? So at that point, you're like, well, all five of those guys I think are pretty good. So if everybody else has Wilson too, and you have, you know, and the rest of the guys, three, four, and five. I don't hate it enough to disagree, so I, I'm kind of on board with that. So that, to me, is the sort of, that's the area where you go back and you say, why did that happen? Because I don't, nothing changed. Right? This was after the season. You know, it didn't happen during the year where all of a sudden he's having this incredible year, like, oh, it's propelled him there. It happened after everybody has already got all the information, and then for some reason the NFL just determined that Wilson was the clear two in that group. I think a lot of it. I mean, it's, I spent more time, I think, asking questions than uh, that was when I was I was very lukewarm on all my takes that off season. I was I was more asking questions. But one of the questions I kept asking was, does the rise of Mahomes, say Lamar Jackson, 
Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, does, does the rise of those guys, the fact that they became stars mm-hmm. and pretty quickly, change the, the quarterback evaluation process? And I think it did. I think it did. I mean, Fields didn't maybe benefit from it as much, but I think maybe Mac Jones was hurt from it. You know, even at PFF, would we have looked at Mac Jones, who had the highest graded Power 5 season we'd ever seen to that point? Granted, it was a COVID year. There was, you know, grades were a little bit higher, I think, in 20 – that was 2020, right? In 2020. Um, would, Mac, would we have been pushing Mac Jones? as like a top three pick in previous years because the production was there. And did we sour on him a little bit because he's not as uh, arm talenty as some of these other guys? I think we got swayed by that too. Um, and also because remember that again, what, what else is around at the time I think is relevant because Mac Jones's entire draft or pre-draft narrative was viewed through the prism of the 49ers just traded up to three. Somebody is saying it's for Mac Jones. That's ridiculous. That was like that was the prism that everybody was looking at Mac Jones through. It's like he can't possibly be worth number three and three first round draft picks. That's madness, right? Whereas if you just sort of stepped back and looked at him in a vacuum and said, "Is Mac Jones worth X pick?" It's a different Which viewpoint. By, by the way, listen to me. Um, I said this when Mina was on the show, and I think she she uh, raised her eyebrows at me. I just, I, if Mac Jones was drafted by the Niners, I think he's doing exactly what Brock Purdy's doing, yeah. if not better. Mm-hmm. I think Mac Jones, if, if, the, if the rumors are true, Kyle Shanahan really wanted Mac Jones and others in the organization maybe talked him out of it in order to get Trey Lance. Um, and by the way, we talked ourselves into Trey Lance as a good fit for Kyle Shanahan too because of the run game aspect and all that. I think Mac Jones would put up monster numbers. Which I wrote at the time. For the Niners. Like when I went through Kyle Mac Shanahan. Jones's tape and said, what would this look like in Shanahan's offense? I was like he could absolutely be worth the, the number three overall pick. Now, I also said I wouldn't trade three first-round picks to get there. But if you're telling me this quarterback at number three in this offense is the equation, I'm in. I, like His processing, his ability to get the ball where it needs to go at the right time is a perfect marriage for Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's just the trade that took to get there was the only thing that would have me going, yeah, not, not really. So I, th- so I think in 2021, as we're drafting quarterbacks and the five guys go in the first round, and like you said, I think it was, uh, it was a little bit of what do, you, what do you like? You know, I thought, you know, Trey Lance looked like a, a guy that you could build a run game around who had to develop as a passer. Fields, I thought, was going to be a different type of player who had passing skills, but you had to um, – he did hold the ball too long at Ohio State, and we didn't know that he was Lamar Jackson-esque as a runner. Um, Trevor Lawrence was going to be your one in, in the whole thing. But I think the league was at a point where people were back to chasing upside after, after getting burned for years, after Blaine Gabbard and Jake Locker and Christian Hackenberg in the second round and wh- whoever, right? Akili Smith years ago. For years, wow, they had been burnt. Akili Smith. Huh? Right? I mean, he was a toolsy number three overall quarterback, right? Who, when, and we'd always say, when was the last toolsy quarterback to really yeah. figure it out? And you could go to like Brett Favre. You could go to... I mean, John Elway, but, like, he had a successful track just, record, too. Also, he was, yeah, he was the perfect prospect. He was right. Not, he was the Trevor Andrew Lawrence Luck guy. had had, like, Andrew Luck wasn't just a toolsy guy. Like, he Same. was productive yeah. with tools, right? Which is different. For, like, Achilles Smith had never, like, played good football, right? Blaine Gabbard had never really played good football. Jake Locker had rarely played good football. Christian Hackenberg certainly had not played good football. And people took, they bet on traits. Hashtag mm-hmm. bet on traits. And I think the league had come back around to that because – Justin Herbert played better football in the NFL than he did in college. Cam so Newton, did Josh Allen. Cam Newton, I guess, was a workout toolsy guy. 
Yeah, Cam's, Cam's tough because he had – it was a one-year sample, but he dominated in college. He dominated at Auburn and led his team to the national title, yeah. right? I mean, that. so that's a little – that's not Jake Lock, – Jake Locker was always like a, a what-if, you know? No, Jake Locker it, was like, oh, this is, uh, this is Tebow West. But he did but it better. in a – he did it in a very unconventional, non – you know, NFL-style offense. So I think he still absolutely fits the category of toolsy quarterbacks. Sure. So maybe, say maybe Cam's a, a hit, say, whatever. Yeah. There weren't many of them. No, but, no, we did, but then we had this run, right, where Patrick Mahomes improved his weaknesses in the NFL, and so did Justin Herbert. And Lamar Jackson's weaknesses completely masked when he got to the NFL because he was so good at everything else, right? Like, all these guys ended up doing that. So people are looking at Zach Wilson being like, yeah, yeah, winning from the pockets, nice and all, but you know Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, yeah, they're they're retired, they're getting old. That's the old way. You got to make off, you got to make off off platform throws. You got to have special arm talent now. Win from the pocket, yes, but then have special arm talent. And that was Zach Wilson. That is Zach Wilson. Special arm talent, you know, off platform jump throws. Looks like Aaron Rodgers the way he throws. He was getting Aaron Rodgers comps. Um, some people are putting him as QB one over Trevor Lawrence. So it was a little bit of groupthink, but it was a lot of people that jumped on board because that was the thing that was working that year, right? And the the one thing that we should learn is, you know, our friend Josh Norris points it out all the time. He was throwing from the biggest pockets you've ever seen at BYU, mm -hmm. Zach Wilson. So even from a production standpoint, you have to say that is very rare. It's not going to happen. And, you know, some of the scouts or evaluators that I talked to said they hate the way he looks under pressure. And even though we've talked about pressure being less stable, I do think there's something to the traits, the scouty analysis of how you handle pressure. I think there's something to, do you, do you step into throws? Do you bail pockets? I think that part matters. And a lot of people hated the way Zach Wilson played under pressure. And that part's been true. He has not handled pressure well. A lot like Baker Mayfield hasn't handled pressure well. And that stuff got exaggerated at the NFL level. So I think if there's a lesson, it's that, Maybe the production part was overrated because pockets were huge, level of competition was low, and the some of the stuff that we needed to see that would translate to the NFL maybe got overlooked in Zach Wilson's game. I, I think there's a big part of the things that we needed to see in order to correctly identify Zach Wilson's weaknesses at the NFL level were not actually available in his college tape. Like That's the problem to me. It's, it's kind of like the Mahomes thing where the question mark on Mahomes coming out was not obvious examples of him not being able to do something. It was an unknown, right? The reason he went, where'd he go, 11? Um, as opposed to number one overall, was not because we knew for a fact that he couldn't do something. It was because we didn't know. Because he played so far outside of the structure of the offense as a general basis. You're like, well, does that function in an NFL offense? Like, how does, can he just be put into an Andy Reid offense or anybody else's and run the system and then bring what he does outside of the structure on top of that is gravy because that's great if he can't then he's not he's certainly not who he is right now and he's probably not even a first round quarterback he's just like this maverick that like he's johnny manzel at that point right oh, this geez. guy that only does outside of structure stuff Can we get that headline but this is sam if, compares right? patrick mahomes to johnny manzel if something happened right no, i heard the direct comparison yeah but you know what i mean like if yeah, that was the if that was the actual truth that he could not work within structure and could only do the outside of structure stuff. I mean, that's Johnny Manziel, right? His Johnny Manziel is one of the best throws in the NFL over the last five years, where he bails from the pocket, runs to his left, and fires an absolute dime, 
you know, to, to whoever was at the, at the other end of that. Like, incredible play. But that's all he could do. He couldn't stand in the pocket and run an NFL offense. So when you're looking at Mahomes' tape coming out of Texas Tech, it's like, I don't know if he can do that. And that doing that is the difference between being the best quarterback in the NFL and being Johnny Manziel, like where you are on that scale. So with Zach Wilson, it's like <laughs> that dude is basically never under pressure. I don't know if he can handle being under pressure at any kind of sensible level in the NFL. And whether or not he can essentially determines is he a really good quarterback or is he Zach Wilson? Um, and then the other element I think is true is nobody knew that he was a douchebag, you know? Like, let's not forget that the reason the guy doesn't have a job right now is not because he sucks. It's because he completely bailed from taking responsibility for sucking. And his team essentially pulled up the drawbridge and went, what the hell with you? We're rolling with Mike White. And they had to sit him down. Like, they didn't bench him because he played badly. They benched him because he went out after the game and went, nope, I don't feel any responsibility for this. And his entire team went, excuse me? And I've made that point before when we were talking about Chris Sims and his QB rankings and all that stuff and the run that he went on, he kept picking the right quarterback. Well, he also put Zach Wilson number one, right? right? I mean, so, but, that, but like, we're not we're not privy to those things, And right? that's also the kind of thing that only manifests when things are going badly. Probably, you know? Like, yeah. if BYU was bad, you might have seen some of that, right? All of a sudden, Zach Wilson isn't taking responsibility or he's throwing other people under the bus and now you're like, ooh, I don't know. But like, if they, if they were only good, it's literally never going to surface. So it's actually impossible to predict that. So that's that's where we're not privy to that stuff. And that's just as difficult, I think, as using production, right? I've, I've heard a lot of hindsight analysis. I've heard how teams evaluated, say, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen from a psychological standpoint. And I don't, I don't know how much is hindsight or how much they actually gleaned foresight into, hey, Baker Mayfield's career could be... Uh, a little uneven because he he shows these things in psychological testing or Josh Allen's the guy that you want to bet on like this dude's just going to get it and get better because the psychological testing you were you were talking about T Tebow yesterday right and how Josh McDaniels like got the leader right he, he may have used that as his baseline where he said I just I've just been with the greatest leader in NFL history and Tom Brady everybody rallies around him and he's a winner and might not have the best arm or this but that's the foundation that I need I want that in Tebow Maybe they're looking at the wrong foundation, but it's certainly a, a part, right? It's still part of the house. Maybe it's the roof, whatever it is. But the psychological aspect, look at me, metaphoring. Mm. Throw Steve up. I'm Add a positive metaphor. Add it to the tally. The psychological part matters. It absolutely matters. Um, and it's not just the stuff you hear in the media, like this guy can learn, this guy can't learn. Now there's like a, a big media push to, um, I think, protect Zach Wilson and say, well, the guy, the guy cares. He works hard, right? It was like Aaron Rodgers was telling him, there's some story out there, was it Burt Breer or something, where Aaron Rodgers was talking to him his rookie year and like a Friday night, it's like, Zach, where are you? He's like, oh, I'm at, the, I'm at the stadium. I'm just grinding film. And Aaron's like, dude, go home. You're overthinking it too much, right? And then the next year they simplified the offense or whatever. I don't know. There's like this push now to say, well, Zach Wilson does care. He does watch film. So like, I don't know where the, the truth is in there. I'm sure he cares. I don't think that was yeah. ever... But uh, there's question. truth in all of the off-field. Do you learn? Do you care? Are you a good teammate? Are you a good leader? But then, obviously, it's difficult to figure that out because teams would never miss if you could very clearly figure it. They never would have drafted Zach Wilson. Yeah, to me, so that's what I'm saying. To me, if you're looking back and you're saying, what are the learnings we can take from the Zach Wilson failure, which I think it is at this point, is I don't think you can necessarily have seen coming 
the way he abdicated responsibility and lost the locker room. I don't know that that was a piece of evidence that was available to you before the draft. Um, if it was, it was probably like through the battery of ridiculous tests that they put these guys in or, or you know, interview questions or whatever absurd thing they're trying to ask, ask to generate some kind of response like that, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a hell of a – like, if you're staking your reputation on that, like, oh, he answered this one random-ass question in a weird way, I don't like it. I don't like – I walk away, you know? It's at least a data point. Though. Yes. But I respect that it's at least data points, and then you have to evaluate the data points over time and see if yeah. there are any patterns. But you know what I mean? Like, if you're, if you're basically walking away from the number two overall pick because he answered a weird question about, like, whether he likes a dog yeah. or a cat in a strange way, like, that's a hell of a statement to make. Number two, I don't know if the play under pressure stuff was necessarily as obvious as people are making it sound because of the nature of that offense. To me, the big learning is everybody taking a step back and collectively evaluating why he went from just in the middle of the pack of these quarterbacks to the clear number two behind Trevor Lawrence. Why did that happen? Yeah. And why did we all just sort of accept it when it happened with, rather than questioning it and saying, is he really obviously better than... Justin Fields is he even better than Mac Jones like sure the arm is better but is the totality like that's the learning to me is figuring out why that happened and then making sure it doesn't happen yeah. the next guy one last thing that made the Wilson thing difficult um you could point to like him being a one-year wonder right he sure. was going into the season he was like a good mid-round prospect right people might liked him a little bit and then he became the number two overall pick but that's been more successful than not over the years, just in the PFF era, the one-year wonders include Joe Burrow, yeah. uh, Kyler Murray, and Joe Burrow did it from as a starter and then became an elite starter. Kyler Murray went from not starting to Heisman winner, elite starter. Um, Dwayne Haskins was a one-year wonder. Kenny Pickett. Mi Mitchell Trubisky was a one-year wonder, and you could argue Kenny Pickett, right? He goes from middle of the pack. I would say there's more hits than misses there, right? Kyler's a hit, Burrow's a hit. Um, Trubisky and Haskins miss. Pickett's probably a hit. Now, Mac Jones was a one-year wonder. He's more of a hit than a miss, right? So there's more hits than misses in one-year wonders, um, whereas Zach Wilson, you know, goes down probably as a miss there. Yeah, But there wasn't be... anything that said, oh, it's because he only did it for one year. Well, you, there's a lot of hits in there, too, for guys that only did it for their last year in college. That used to be the thing people hated. Like, it was Bill Parcells wouldn't touch a guy if he didn't have, like, I forget what the number was, but, like, 25 starts or something. Like, there was a line, which was, like, a two- or three-year starter. If you didn't have that many starts, Parcells wanted nothing to do with you as a prospect. And this was back at the time where, like, yeah. Jamarcus Russell was, like, the poster boy for short, low number of starts equals disaster at the next level. I might revisit that a little bit. Not necessarily for my elite starters, but like getting a starter, getting your Brock Purdy, getting I your think it's Kenny Pickett. Now. I don't think you, I don't know if you need X number of starts anymore because I, I think the, the whole landscape is different. I think a lot of the misses though are your Sam Darnolds and guys that Mitchell Trubisky's and guys that didn't have starts over time. I don't know. Um, good discussion. Uh, the, the to answer the original email though, there's a lot of revision <laughs> revisionist history. Yeah, there's a lot of revisionist history. And I just want to finish with this that I'll mention in team building season a ton. It does not set the organization back to miss on a quarterback. The Jets are still sitting here with a good roster, maybe an Aaron Rodgers trade away or whatever it might be. It's okay that they missed. That's what I would say. I also don't know that there was a clear alternative. As great as Justin Fields was as a runner down the stretch, the jury's still out on how what Justin Fields will become. He looks like the second best quarterback in that class, probably. 
but we could be sitting here a year from now saying Mac Jones is the second best quarterback in the class behind Trevor Lawrence. That it could be Mac Jones. There's not like a clear the Jets should have done this other thing. Yeah. In the draft. I don't think I agree that it doesn't set you back, but I think the point is more what's the alternative? Like missing on a quarterback and not having a quarterback, it, you then end up back where you started potentially with some other uh, deficiencies down the road. I think it does set you back, but the point is you have to get a quarterback. So, like, the alternative is not having one at all and just not going anywhere. The alternative is if the Jets went in and said, we're just not going to draft a quarterback. We're going to draft right, exactly. Jamar Chase. So or, it, it like, like, what if they got the best players in the draft that aren't quarterbacks? Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, or Micah Parsons, say. Yeah, it's better in the – but they, they wouldn't have won right. anything in the last two years, much like they didn't win – anything really the last two years so I, I do think it's a small backward step to take a quarterback high miss on him and then have to start all over again but it's probably I mean it, it's the thing you have to do because you need the quarterback otherwise like there is no alternative option to that all right I want to tell you the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season it's underdog fantasy in their pick em game you just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up higher or lower higher or lower total than that number in this week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. All right, we got a little explain the grade time, so uh, let's get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All right. Today, we're going to do a season-long Explain the Grade. Jared Goff yep. of the, the Detroit Lions. There have been – this will be fun. I like Jared Goff <laughs> overall. 4,400 solid. 4,400 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 65% completion rate – which shakes out to a passer rating of 99.3, but a PFF passing grade that ranks 19th in the NFL and an overall grade that ranks... 19th in passing, I see that. That's what I said. 20th. Yeah, yeah. 20th overall. This is where you explain yourself, Steve. Yeah, do it. I mean, I just I think... I like Jared Goff. I liked him coming out. Mm-hmm. He's, a he sol- he's a good, solid NFL starter. Um He's had a couple of rough years in there, including 2021 uh, with the Lions. I think Goff epitomizes the the mid-tier NFL quarterback. Where, And I, I think the PFF grade does a great job separating the quarterback from the production, as I always do. So before we get into the specifics, Jared Goff had an identical 71.6 passing grade in 2020 with the Rams. And the stats looked a little bit different. Mm. So I would say the reason for that is you have a little bit of luck. You have a little bit of scheme help. We've been raving about Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator in Detroit. And I think he's a he's a big factor here in Jared Goff's season. The luck factor is Goff finishes with 24 turnover-worthy plays. That's 3.6% of his dropbacks. That's on the lower end. That's, that's pretty much Dak Prescott territory for much of the season Dak you know screwed that up and started throwing the ball to defense much more the last two out of the last three weeks but 3.6 percent turnover worthy play rate but only seven interceptions 
So having 24 turnover-worthy plays and only seven interceptions implies that number, the seven interceptions, is not telling the story of how well Goff well, took look, care of yeah. the ball. I mean, just as an example, um, Derek Carr had 19 turnover-worthy plays and 14 interceptions. So yeah. slightly lower turnover-worthy play rate than Goff, but double the number of uh, interceptions. So we've had to explain Goff a lot because this has been a thing throughout the season. Like uh, against Seattle, he had three turnover-worthy plays, and the only interception he had was he only had one interception. It was a pick six to Tariq Woolen, but he had three turnover-worthy plays in that game. He had two turnover-worthy plays against the Giants, but didn't matter. He didn't have a, an interception in that game, right? So um, I thought Goff played well down the stretch. Played well in that uh, Green Bay game that knocked the Packers out of the playoffs. Did some really good things. But this just, to me, it goes back to people who think Jared Goff played better than the grade are, you know, you get the feels when you watch. And there was there was a lot of touchdowns. There was a lot of good stuff. There was a lot of yards. It was an effective offense. They scored a ton of points. But I think Goff was more of a, you know, not a passenger, but he was a facilitator of a very good offense and had a little bit of luck. And so the stats look good. And this isn't the first time in Goff's career where that's been the case. It's been, that was his 2017 with the Rams, his breakout season, 74 passing grade, one of the best uh, passer ratings in the NFL, despite having just a 74 grade. His best graded season was 2018. They go to the Super Bowl that year. But even then, there were games and there were points where it's like, ah, Jared Goff isn't the driver of this offense. He's the facilitator, which is fine. That's what mid-tier quarterbacks do. So when you look at, the PFF grades, I think they tell the proper story. Jared Goff's historical, let's just use passing grade, 74, 83, 72, 71, 61, 71. So three out of the last four years, set the passing grade's been 71 or 72. It's all in the same range. The stats have looked different. The touchdown-interception ratios have looked very different. The passer ratings have looked different. The EPA has looked different. I think it's safe to say our numbers are capturing the general level of play of the quarterback, and then the other numbers are being influenced by other things. Offensive yes. line, playmakers, and play caller. And you can tease it out a little bit more if you look situationally, which is where I think the differences between his performance and the results start to skew wildly apart. Um, third and fourth down this season. So his grade stays about the same, right? 20th, effectively. He has 10 turnover-worthy plays on third and fourth down, which is the second most in the NFL behind only Josh Allen, who, as we all know, went you know, crazy eight turnover-prone this season generally. So 10 turnover-worthy plays on third and fourth down, which I think is actually the highest rate even above Josh Allen. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's one of the highest rates. But um, we have the 10 turnover-worthy plays. We have um, an average depth of target – or so – Sorry, a passer rating on third and fourth down of 107, which is the second highest in the NFL, right? So second highest passer rating, effectively saying, you know, nobody is as good as, or he's as good as anybody on third and fourth down, but 43% of his pass attempts are short of the sticks on third and fourth down, which is the fourth most in the NFL. So he's not being particularly aggressive on third and fourth down, despite that is having a ton of turnover worthy plays on third and fourth down and yet all of that is shaking out to basically the best results of anybody on third and fourth down like his when you sort of focus in on the most high leverage situations it's the furthest apart of results versus process and, and look again i like goff he's a good solid quarterback he's fine he is in the middle class of quarterbacks 
which is, you know, in the grand scheme of life, very impressive. <laughs> when you're trying to build your team and you're thinking about, okay, wh what's the best way to win going forward? Those are the quarterbacks that give you a little bit of anxiety both ways, right? Because the Raiders are moving on from Derek Carr. Derek Carr has graded better than Jared Goff almost every year of their career. There's been a couple years where Goff has graded better than Carr. But because Carr's at a low, Goff's offense is at a high, I'm sure if I put a poll out there right now, who'd you rather, Derek Carr or Jared Goff, it's going to be 75-25 Goff. Last year, if I put that same poll out there, it's 75-25 Carr. That is the nature of the mid-tier quarterback. One more data point, I think, that's that's a, a negative on Jared Goff, who, again, yeah, I, I think it is worth making the point that he is a capable starting quarterback. That's about as far as I would go. 2.9% big-time throw rate this season, um, which, is the, which is basically in the ballpark of pre-Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel Tua, i.e. way too low. Um, this season, it is lower than Zach Wilson, Taylor Heineke, um, way below Derek Carr, Davis Mills, Andy Dalton, Dak Prescott by a mile, like Kenny Pickett, a lot of, like way below a lot of these quarterbacks. It is one of the lowest marks in the entire league. So for a guy who is reasonably turnover-worthy prone, you know, makes some mistakes, um, the kind of, not, not massively so, but enough that like as, as many mistakes as you would expect a, an average starting quarterback to make, he's not offsetting those with massive big-time plays that can pick, fix a lot of that stuff. He's essentially offsetting them by being in an offense run by Ben Johnson. So Detroit fans have been very adamant. They love Jared Goff, right? Hashtag restore the roar. They're all in on Jared Goff. They've loved what they've seen this year. The only thing I would say is be careful, right? Don't, get, don't fall in love too much with Goff. I think he, he's, he was good in the offense. He produced and everything. He's also the same guy that the Rams wanted to move on from to get your former quarterback, Matthew Stafford. And Stafford's upside, predictably, was higher. And, you know, that helped the Rams get to the Super Bowl win. If the, if the goal is the Super Bowl win for the Lions, Goff is one of those quarterbacks that teams have tried to move on from. And I think Goff is very much like a Jimmy Garoppolo, very much like a Derek Carr, um, probably a tick below Kirk Cousins, but like in that, in that bucket, right, where depending on who you talk to and depending on the last season you saw, perception's going to fluctuate. But the totality, the body of work, puts those guys in a similar bucket, and the results are going to be very much driven by things a little bit out of that quarterback's control, where you know every quarterback needs help and everything, but the elite quarterbacks have more of a chance to carry their team, their supporting cast, in their circumstances. We've seen that a lot throughout the years. Goff has not proven that he's that guy. So very specifically, this year's grade, the stats are a little inflated because of everything around him. And, he, and the actual level of play for Goff, even though he's better down the stretch, wasn't better overall than maybe some other years of his career. Mm -hmm. Got it? Yeah. Everybody. Goff every equals mid is what you're saying. Oh, look at you. Good interpretation for mm -hmm. me. That's great. It's off the chain. <laughs> it's off the chain. <laughs> uh, we don't adjust. I mean, yeah. Like public enemies in the chat. His take is basic. Public enemies in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Not the uh, not the real public enemy, but some guy. Your take is basic. Okay. People are going to bat for us is what they're trying to say. That's what they're saying. Um, 
anyway, that's it. I think it's uh, well said. I'm sure everybody agrees with us. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> we got anything else on the docket for today? That was good. No, nope. it was a lot of uh, a lot of long form rambling. All right, tomorrow we'll get back into the previews. Two games. It's a solid three hour show. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we got last year. We tacked on something else, right? I don't know. I think we did some like QB carousel discussion. We'll see. We'll we, see. We'll, yeah. we'll just discuss something else tomorrow. But we're previewing the conference championship. We're down to just two games, four teams. It'll be great. And uh, look, we appreciate all of our viewers. We appreciate you guys tuning into the extra shows, downloading the extra shows. There's just more and more content. We also um, we did announce we're going to be at the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that. So um, let us know if there's any guests that you're really excited to hear from we'll see if we could track down some good guests we'll see if maybe we'll get pete traeger on the show we'll see maybe, maybe we'll get warren sharp probably not um not a single soul gave us somewhere to go to watch the six nations in phoenix we'll tweet Nobody. it out again not a single where person. do we watch the six nations so we're we're you were like giving out our hotel information on twitter and stuff too it's not like people don't know it's the media hotel. just say there's 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 multiple there's media like where where the media? I is. thought somebody was going to use that as like. I a, will. I refuse to walk to the lobby and have people with my baseball cards looking for autographs. Like you have to avoid that. I I don't want to live that life anymore. Look, I don't need people tracking me down for autographs and pictures and all that stuff. Number one, man of the people here. I don't think you have to worry about somebody hunting you down for your autograph. Number two. I was hoping that that was about to lead to, oh, if you're here, there's this bar that shows the Six Nations. Just say Greater Phoenix area. The Greater Phoenix area. We're an area. Uber right away. The 101 <laughs> or the two, whatever, the, the loop. There's a loop that goes everywhere. We're 20 minutes away from everything. Scottsdale, yeah, you, you Tempe, be, it's 20 minutes away from You must be intimately familiar with Phoenix. If oh, dude. So it's got to be one of your 17 destinations. Lived so. half a life there. Scottsdale, yeah. Tempe, the whole thing. There you go. Yeah, I know all about it. <laughs> So just ask me. I'll find a. I'll find us a spot. So we're gonna watch the Six Nations. We'll be hanging out. So we're gonna be there, and I'm gonna be at Sloan. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be at the Sloan Analytics Conference on the football panel. Mm-hmm. If anybody's gonna be at Sloan, if we have any uh, anybody that's gonna be at the MIT Sloan Conference, I'm on the football panel this year talking uh, talking ball. So hope to see people there as well. All right, there we go. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Hit that thumbs up on the way out. And we'll see you tomorrow previewing the conference championship games.